0: Rome, uh, not Romans. Boy, oh boy! Not Revelation either. Genesis chapter twenty-eight tonight. Go through the Bible, Genesis through Revelation on Sunday nights, and we come here as we come to chapter twenty-eight. Uh, Jacob is at a place where he has just uh, finished in the earlier chapter. A deception, taking advantage of the blindness of his uh, father to deceive him in order to gain a blessing that was already going to be delivered to him by legitimate means and holy means by the Lord if he had just been patient enough to wait on it. It wasn't of any help that his mother had kind of uh, put him, you know, up to it. But don't think of uh, Jacob at this point as a fourteen-year-old boy. By the time uh, we begin here in chapter twenty-eight, he is seventy years old, and uh, I got a reaction, didn't it? Wow. So, anyway, but you know, I mean, they lived so he's like in terms of lifespans now, and in versus that time, it's it, you know, he's you're looking at somebody's probably about thirty-five years old or so in terms of of, of life and all. So. Uh, he has deceived his uh, father. He has received uh, both the birthright from Esau, his brother, received the blessing from his father. His brother, the big strong brother, you know, is uh, uh, consoling himself with, with one single thought. And that is as soon as his uh, father Isaac dies that he's going to, you know, kill Jacob probably with his bare hands. Uh, Rebekah, the mother... Uh, she realizes that she's in danger at this point of losing both of her sons in one day. And uh, in order to get some distance between them, she goes to Jacob and says, Listen, I don't want you to marry a wife among the Canaanites, the land that we're in, the promised land. I want you to go back to Haran and uh, where my, parent, uh, my family lives, I want you to find a wife there in that place and it's kind of a I'm sure she wants him to find a wife from among her uh, her relatives but she's also kind of continuing to work the consequences of of the situation that she's kind of launched here and that is to get a considerable distance namely five hundred plus miles on foot distance between the two boys so nobody kills each other uh, the other and then is killed as a result of it in kind of a kinsman redeemer uh, uh, kind of retribution uh, uh, situation so in chapter 28, some uh, pretty important things are going to start to happen in Jacob's life. Jacob is all about Jacob. And if this isn't going to be like for Jacob, oh yeah, i got a really good book on how to die to self in, in six weeks. It's a new me. Uh, he, is, he is so... Himself, you know, so carnal and so fleshly. But in chapter, um, and I laugh only because I recognize it on some level, but in chapter 28, he has this first encounter that we really understand, where he has a true encounter with God. And what's going to happen now in his life, and it needs to happen in every life, he's been not only raised in so-called a Christian home, but uh, he's b- being raised... Uh, in the lineage of the patriarchs of Israel, the most important bloodline in, in human history and all, but he doesn't have his own relationship with God. He's living off of his dad's relationship with God, his dad's history with God, his mom's relationship with God, her history with God. It's time for him to get his own history with God, meet God for himself, and so that's going to start to happen in his life now, and that happens uh, for some people. Boy, they just—it's just—it's a real easy, smooth transition that occurs uh, in their life, right, from their parents' faith, kind of straight on into their own. And then for others, it's a little rockier path on things. Uh, can admittedly, a. Uh, uh, a, something that a person is responsible for and all but the main thing is that we get there and Jacob is going uh, to, to get there and then Isaac called Jacob and he blessed him and he charged him and said to him you shall not take a wife from the daughters of Canaan. And Rebekah, Isaac's uh, wife, had already said, Listen, th- these Esau's Canaanite wives are just a grief to, to me. And so have it go to uh, uh, Padan, Aram, and uh, Aram and, and, and get a, a, a wife there. So uh, Isaac realizes this is a good idea and he said, You shall not take a wife from the daughters of Canaan uh, like Esau. Arise, go to Padan-Aram, to the house of Bethuel, your mother's father, and take yourself a wife from there of the daughters of Laban, uh, your mother's brother. And uh, so here is, is, uh, is Isaac, and at this point he kind of um, wakes up. And, and he, he gets serious about God again. He was serious about God in his 20s. And then then he got more serious about his belly and more serious about food and more serious about the flesh and those things until he's willing to strive against God in giving uh, the blessing to the younger as God had had demanded that it, it would be so. But now, here he is, he wakes up to the seriousness of being the spiritual leader of his home and being a spiritual influence to his son. And he's frittered away a lot of years uh, by just dipping into selfishness and carnality and, and ceasing to grow as a Christian, grow as a child of God. But the beautiful thing that we see from Isaac here is that it's never too late to turn that corner. And uh, some of us may be in this room as a mom or a dad and we walked strong, strong with the Lord earlier in our life and all and then took our life back and all carnality and, and it's all about eating, drinking, being married, tomorrow we die and yeah, you know, there's there's enough sobriety about God that I know I'm going to heaven and there's some marginal kind of spiritual influence within the family but nothing like what it should be. And it's always all right to wake up to that fact and say, I can't change what's right behind me. But I can become what I know God has called me to do and to be in my family. I'm going to rise up tonight and I'm going to make a decision to lead this family spiritually. And that's what he does. It's never too late to do that. And uh, so the story can have a happy ending. So here here is Isaac... His father Abraham goes to incredible lengths to find a a, a godly wife for him in Rebecca, and more or less. But I mean, she slipped too. But but at the outset, that's what he was looking for—a godly wife. And there was no reason that she shouldn't have, you know, kind of continued to be that in a greater measure in in her life. And then here is uh, Isaac. He comes behind his father and. And he is uh, doing less for his sons than his father did for him. Listen, when, when we are raised in the things of the Lord, or we come, you know, our parents have known the Lord, we should not be a lesser influence for godliness in our children's lives than our parents were in our lives. That should be something that is being built upon and ratcheted up as we continue to, to grow. That's a heritage that we shouldn't fritter away. That's a tremendous heritage that we should build on and, and build on for our, our children. So if we're sitting here tonight, and, and here you are, any of us as Christians, and our parents were way more spiritual Way more spiritually influential in our lives than we are in our children's lives. Turn from that. Turn from that. That's the way of Isaac. It's a way of regret. And, and Isaac teaches us, better late than never, jump in and, and redeem the time that we have left. So, he left. so he gets with the program now. He understands. Uh, he wakes up spiritually on, on things. And so he pronounces the blessing uh, upon uh, Isaac now, in, uh, or Jacob rather, in, in verse 3. Remember, uh, Jacob had kind of gotten it out of him through deception. He thinks he's pronouncing the blessing upon Esau, and he's really pronouncing it upon uh, Jacob. Now it's kind of like all eyes wide open, and he now nobody needs to you know, con him or deceive him to pronounce the blessing that God had intended to be upon Jacob all along, he openly again gets with God's program here. May God Almighty bless you. Uh, Jacob already has the birthright. Now he gets the blessing to fulfill the birthright and make you fruitful and multiply you, that you may be an assembly of peoples and give you the blessings of Abraham and to you and your descendants with you. And so obviously he needs to marry. He is going to have children uh, in order for him to have uh, descendants that you may inherit the land in which you are a stranger, which God gave to Abraham. Speaking of the land of Canaan, the land of Israel. And so in this manner... Isaac sent Jacob away, and he went to uh, Padan-Aram, to Laban, the son of Bethuel the Syrian, the brother of Rebekah, the mother of Jacob, and... Esau. And Esau saw that Isaac had blessed Jacob and sent him away to Padan Aram to take himself a wife from there. And that as he blessed him, he gave him a charge saying, You shall not take a wife from the daughters of Canaan. So he's listened to his father pronounce this blessing on his brother, and his father saying, Do not take a wife from the land of Canaan. And it dawns on Esau, he's married two Canaanite women. So he realizes. Dad didn't like this that much. Now, it isn't, it isn't a racial issue. It isn't that um, uh, Isaac uh, dis, di, is displeased racially with the Canaanites. What he does not want his family to marry into is what they are spiritually. They are idolaters. They are the worshipers of, of false gods. So he hears, maybe for the first time, remember, here is Dad, you know, kind of getting uh, up to speed on being a spiritual leader. Some lights are going on for everyone here. And uh, so he realizes the decisions that he's made in wives hasn't pleased his parents and that Jacob had obeyed his father and his mother and had gone to Padan Aram. And so also Esau saw that the daughters of Canaan did not please his father Isaac. And so Esau went to Ishmael uh, and Took uh, Mahalath, the daughter of Ishmael, Abraham's son, the sister of uh, Nebajoth, to be his wife, in addition to the wives that he had. So now he's got two Canaanite wives, and he's got a descendant of Ishmael. He didn't get it. He just he does not get uh, things. So he wants to please his parents. So he marries. Well, if if what pleases mom and dad is is marrying into the bloodline, then I will marry into. Um, the bloodline that came through Father Abraham, uh, you know, through Ishmael and Hagar, the mother of Ishmael. And so he marries into a bloodline that God has already clearly spoken about as being rejected related to how he wanted to use this bloodline to bring a Savior and blessing into the world. So he still doesn't get it and uh, still making uh, bad uh, decisions. It, you know. And Esau doesn't have to end up being a tragedy. Uh, even though Esau wasn't called by God, and, and I'm, it, there's no doubt that God knew you know, the makeup of these two as He gives the prophecy before they're even born into the world. You know, I don't have to be a patriarch to have a successful life. I don't have to have the blessing. I don't have to have the birthright. I don't have to be the head of anything. To finish this pilgrimage and go to be with the Lord, and for God to say, "Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord." He calls all of us to do different things, and uh, and so Esau had a chance to just walk with God, take spiritual things. Uh, seriously and uh, and he would have had a happy ending, too. He just would not have been the the head of of the family. Now, Jacob went out from Beersheba and he went toward uh, Haran, and he also came to a certain place, and he stayed there all night because the sun had set, so he 's making a five hundred mile journey from uh, Canaan. Uh, to Haran and and he's doing it on foot. There's no donkeys or anything. He's going out kind of with the clothes on his back and all. He's trying to make uh, good time. He's walking even into the place of, of dark. And, and he comes to this place where the, when the sun sets, and he's going to have a vision here. He's going to name the place uh, uh, Bethel in, in just a few verses. Bethel is, is located about 70 miles from where he began his journey. So he's been walking pretty good for about three days now to get to this place. And by the time he gets... You know, he's not used to all this walking and all this kind of stuff. He kind of works with the herds and things like this, no power walking. And uh, so he gets the end of the third day, and he's really tired. So the sun had set, and he took, this is how tired he is, he took one of the stones of that place and put it at his head, and he lay down in that place to sleep. Stone, uh, he, he said, I need a pillow here just so I can lie on my side and have my head elevated a little bit. And uh, he can't find any wood that's softer than stone. So a pretty barren place that he is. And when you can fall asleep on a stone as a pillow, you're pretty whipped. And, uh, and he's, he's tired and all. And, and so he lays down in that place in, in order now uh, to, to sleep. And then he has this dream. And behold, there was a ladder that was set up on the earth. So the bottom of the ladder is on the earth, and its top reached up into heaven. Now, better than a ladder, just so you can look at a ladder, big wide ladder if you want, but it might be better to picture in your mind a very wide staircase, kind of from the lower story up to the upper story, a wide enough staircase, say, in your house or a building, where there's enough room for considerable traffic going up and considerable traffic going down. That's kind of what he's, he's seeing in his his vision here. So there's this ladder that's set up, and the bottom is on the earth, the top reaches into heaven, and there are the angels of God. Are uh, ascending and descending uh, on this ladder. So he's seeing all of this angelic activity going on there. And, uh, and so he's, he's coming to the realization that God is very, very active in this world. Remember, angels, right of the book of Hebrews, they're ministering spirits under the heirs of salvation. Their greatest work that they're doing on the earth, though they're unseen, god's just giving jacob a chance to see how much heavenly activity there is going on around just his life it isn't like he's found a portal you know into the eternal kinda deal and if we can just find that place on the earth you know then we can enter in and, and make a science fiction movie on that what god is showing him is that there's this kind of activity all over the place in the world there's tremendous activity under the direction of God, directing his angels toward his work here on the earth. Now, it may not, there may be different sized ladders. Uh, I doubt the ladder's too wide related to my life. I'm not a patriarch. There's considerable spiritual activity completely unknown to Jacob going on around his life. I, I'm sure that for any of us, though, if God said, all right, I'm going to give you 48 hours to see what goes on in the spiritual realm around you, we you know, <laughs> our eyes would be all bloodshot. There's, I mean, there's some pretty wild things happening in that spiritual realm. And uh, he's just getting a glimpse of what's going on associated with, with his life, which is considerable activity because he is of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob fame. The Messiah is going to come into the world through His life. Uh, heaven is very, very involved in, in His life. And so here the angels up and down and, and all. And then behold, verse 13, the Lord stood above the ladder. So He's in control. He's, he's the one that's uh, orchestrating, telling what's going on. He's, he's overseeing the whole thing. And He stood above it. And He now says to Jacob, I am the Lord God of Abraham, your father and the God of Isaac. So God, Ab, Jacob now gets an introduction to the Lord here, and uh, then the Lord says, the land on which you lie, talking about Israel, I will give to you and your descendants. So again we look at it, the whole argument over the land of Israel. God has said, Abraham, I'm giving it to you and your descendants. Isaac, I'm giving it to you and your descendants. Not giving it to, It's not the lineage of Abraham, Ishmael, and whoever. It's the lineage of Abraham, Isaac, and Esau. No. It's the land is given, a- along with, with this promise to be a blessing of the whole, it's given to the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And maybe before we get through our uh, study tonight, we're going to see that 12 sons come out of Jacob, the 12 tribes of Israel. The land belongs to the Jews land belongs to the Jews. It's given to them by God. Now, I don't have a beef for that because I'm half Scottish and half Irish. But, but that's just the way that it goes. I accept that. God gets to give whatever part of the land He wants to give to, to, to whoever He wants to in the whole world. So, the land on which you lie, I will give to you and your descendants. Esau is out. God bless Esau, but he's out on, on that, that whole land and blessing thing. And also your descendants shall be as the dust of the earth. Uh, you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south, and in you and in your seed, here is the bigger thing than the land. It's, the, it's what's going to come out of his bloodline. All of the families of the earth shall be blessed because Jesus was born into the world through that bloodline, physically born into the world. And behold, I am with you, and I will keep you wherever you go, and will bring you back to this land for I will not leave you until I have done what I have spoken to you. So you're leaving the land, I'm going with you. Now remember again, in the ancient world, that was a mind-blower because they looked at uh their they looked at their gods as local deities. Uh, kind of like you're driving in your car through the Central Valley or something, and you, you leave, uh, you got a certain radio station on, and uh, you like what you're listening to on the thing, and then you get past its signal, and you come in toward the next metropolitan area, and you've got to try and find it somewhere on the dial so you can keep listening to the, to the thing. Christian radio, of course, you're listening to. 106.9, you're listening to. Which disappears in a flash. But anyway, <laughs> enough about that. So, but but as you as you're doing that, that's the way they they saw the deities. That boy, this deity, this god that I serve is really strong here. But you get a little further out here, the signal's a little weak, and you gotta worship the deities of this of of this land, the gods of this land. Jehovah God, uh, uh, the God of the Bible, comes on and says, uh, "I travel with these people." The signal never gets weak. I'm, not, I'm as strong on the mountains or in the valleys or in the winter or in the summer. And, and this was a tremendous thing and, of course, unique to God Almighty. And then Jacob awoke from his sleep and he said, Surely the Lord is in this place and I did not know it. So he's just oblivious to the whole spiritual realm. And he was afraid. I mean, just a fear of God, just awe over, how could I be living life and missing something like that going on all around me? How awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. And then Jacob rose early in the morning, and he took the stone that he had put at his head, he set it up as a pillar, he poured oil on top of it, so he's traveling with some oil here, anoints it, kind of makes a, a memorial out of the site, and he called the name of that place Bethel, but the name of that city had been Luz previously. So he renames it the uh, House of God, and, uh, and uh, because, you know, that, that's... The activity that he ran into in, in that particular uh, location, the interesting thing about this uh, vision I mean Jacob understands it on some level uh, in terms of all right, my eyes have been opened up to the amount of spiritual activity that 's going on in the world around me, the amount of god directed spiritual a- angelic activity that 's going around, uh, uh, going on around my life. But we would have to wait 2,000 years to get the full impact of what this vision is really all about in its highest sense for when Jesus spoke to Nathaniel in uh, John's Gospel. And when he uh, spoke to Nathaniel, there, John's Gospel, chapter 1, he said to Nathaniel, Most assuredly, I say to you, hereafter you shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. Not a ladder. He is the ladder. He is the stairway. He is the way up and down, the access. And that's what a ladder is. A ladder is a link between two places that I couldn't get from the one to the other without, without it. And, and he is that. So what Jesus was saying to Nathaniel there is, you know, and Nathaniel is kind of uh, awed by the fact that Jesus knew a little bit more about him than he ought to have known. You know, he knew about him because of, of, of the fact that he's the son of, of God. And, and Jesus was saying, listen, you're going to see with your own eyes, you're going to see with your own eyes what Jacob only saw in a dream. And that is the reality and the fullness of the heavenly activity that surrounded the life of Jesus, the angelic uh, activity. And so Jesus is the latter. He is the lone link between heaven and earth. There is one mediator uh, between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, He is the only. He is the ladder. He is the only means by which we can have access uh, into um, heaven. Now it's interesting to me, and the the Bible is just full of amazing grace because God appears to Jacob here in this dream at a time where you would just think nobody would want anything to do with him. I mean, it looks like he's just thrown his life away. He's just made all of these bad decisions. He's burnt bridges to home. His brother hates him and wants to kill him. And and he's just about ruined his life with his own carnal tendencies to lie and to deceive and to manipulate. Nobody wants anything to do with him. He's heading from his hometown to a land that he's never been to before. He's doing it all alone because that's the kind of life that his Personality and his ways is produced. And at that, that moment in time where it looks like he's trashed his life when it's not even half over, God comes to him and gives him the greatest revelation of, of him that, that he had had thus far in his life. gives him a tremendous revelation of, again, the angelic activity, the supernatural activity surrounding his life. You are Jacob, you are such a bad boy, look what you've made of your life, look what you've done, look at what your everything can produce, Mr. Manipulator man and Mr. Hurt Other People man and get out ahead and take advantage of even your father's blindness man. And, and yet, right there in that place, God comes in and gives him a tremendous revelation of God's call and plan for his life. It's grace. You say, I don't understand it. That's grace. You don't understand grace. And, and God, he, 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 He's so faithful to meet Jacob where he is and then, and then to walk him uh, from that and so the Lord gives great promises to him, and as I said, he wakes up and he, he builds this monument now uh, in order that he wouldn't forget the location, and he wouldn't forget the event, calls it the house of God. And then this is, this is Jacob. He gets more Jakey of the year, but I mean, this is, this is such him, verse 20, so after this great vision, the dream that the Lord's given, then Jacob made a vow, saying to God, this is what he says to God, if God, never start with that, if, if you, don't ever, something's wrong with that prayer. Okay? Because I'm the initiator, now I got, and God's the responder. No, God's, God's the initiator, we're the responders. But this is where He is, and the Bible records it for us. So he makes a vow and he said, If God will be with me and keep me in this way, if He's going to be true to His Word to me, uh, in this way that I'm going, and if He gives me bread to eat and clothing to put on, keeps me fed and clothed, so that I come back to my Father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. Talk of, he must have been in some self-esteem classes or something. I mean, a pretty you know, uh, inflated sense of His value. Can you imagine what God's doing up in heaven related to this? Gabriel, Michael, what a day! You know this is terrific. Break out, you know, the sparkling apple cider, and and uh, let's have a toast. Jacob has, you know, deigned to allow me to be his god today if I'll just do everything that he wants me to do. You know, like God's supposed to be. Oh, good, we got Jacob on our side. Phew! This is one of the greatest days in in eternity. If you counted days in eternity so this is the this is the kind of thing that he 's doing, and then notice you think it can't get any worse and this stone, which I have set as a pillar, shall be god 's house, and all that you give me God listen every I just want you to know i 'm a pretty- pretty fair guy of all that you give me i 'll give you a tenth back <laughs> Such a deal, such a deal I mean he is. Such a Jacob in this whole thing. It's just ridiculous. And, you know, I mean, you look at it and you kid about it, but he is just flat out sincere in what it is that he is saying to God. And he's still such a manipulator. And so, you know, it's just unseemly to look at and and hear what it is that that he uh, is saying. But he's talking to God. And it's a start. And I think back, not very often, because it's too humiliating. I think back in the early days of my walk with the Lord. There's enough to humiliate me today. So don't think, you know, uh, 26 years have brought it to an end. But some of the deal-making and prayer with God and, and all of that. And isn't it wonderful? I know you're no different on, on things. Isn't it wonderful how God meets us where we are and then He takes us from there? And that's what He's going to do with Jacob. He meets us where we are tonight. He knows fully what we are. He knows, as has been said, what He's getting when He gets us, and that is a project. And He's willing to accept that. And now He's going to take us and make us into something that's very, very beautiful by Heaven's standard and I just love this picture because Jacob is just so ugly in a spiritual and personal kind of sense. And, and it doesn't deter God. God says, I've got grace for that. And, and I'm going I'm to turn into him into something really, really special. And, and the Lord does it. And we understand that in our lives, uh, don't we? So uh, he meets us where we are. But he's so faithful not to leave us there. Chapter 29. And so Jacob went on his journey, and he came to the land uh, of the uh, people of the east. So he finally comes to Haran and uh, Padan Aram. And he looked, and he saw a well in the field. And behold, there were three flocks of sheep lying by it, for out of that well they watered the flocks, and a large stone was over the well's mouth. Now, we're going to f- see in just a verse or two that this is the mid- near the middle of the day. So we're looking at somewhere between eleven o'clock and two o'clock. It is no time for shepherds to have already pulled their flocks out of the field and to bring them in and call it a day at noon, or call it a day at 11 o'clock and then bring the sheep in in, in order for them uh, to be watered. But that's what's happening here and uh, they're gathered around this well. The Bible speaks about a large stone that's put on the well's mouth. That, talks about the, that speaks to us of the value of a well in, um, in that part of the world, very arid part of the world. So water almost priceless in certain places. And so they put a rock over that well so that it wouldn't be left open and then some lamb or something fall into the well. Down and then drown and die in the well and then rot in the well and then now the well's been poisoned. So it's a means of of protecting something that's very very uh, valuable. And he and he looked and uh, uh, verse three. Now all the flocks would be gathered there and they would roll the stone. Then once all the flocks showed up, so that there, three were there. Evidently more needed to come before they'd roll that stone back, and they'd roll the stone from the well's mouth water the sheep, and then they put the stone back in its place on the well's mouth. And uh, so Jacob said uh, to the people that are gathered around there, My brethren, where are you from? They said, We're from Haran. And he said to them, Do you know Laban, the son of Nahor? And they said, We know him. (laughs) I mean, they're really tight-lipped. There's nothing good, nothing bad. It's just like, We know him. Everybody knows Laban Nobody wants to a second time But everybody knows who your uncle is You probably shouldn't have said anything uh, about it We know him And so he said to them, is he well? They said, he's well And look, his daughter Rachel is coming with the sheep And then Jacob said to these uh, shepherds Look, it's still high day It's the middle of the day it's not time for the cattle uh, to be gathered together. Water the sheep and go back out and, and feed them. And so here Jacob uh, gives kind of the natives of the land a little uh, suggestion on how to tend sheep. He's very, very good at it. He's, he's a, quite a shepherd uh, and was for his father and his mother and, and will be uh, for Uncle Laban and all. But it's, here it is. It's the middle of the day. He's looking at people who, who are calling it quits at the middle of the day, and that really bugs him. Now, you can say a lot of things about, about Jacob. He's a funny guy, isn't he? Interesting personality, but you can never call him lazy. Somebody has said that uh, an unguarded strength is a weakness. And part of his deal is when he, just, just in terms of how God had made him, he could look at a situation, I'm convinced, and just see, a manipulator can, just see the bottom line just like that. Some of them, for some of us, it takes us two months to figure a situation out. Oh, that's what was going on there. Another person sees it in five seconds. And then, because the rest of us are so slow, they know how to manipulate the situation to take advantage of it. And and so he is one sharp man. He is a really really sharp guy, and uh, and he's also a very very hardworking man. And he seems to be intolerant of laziness or this kind of thing. I'm sure just drove him crazy. One o'clock, get out of here! What are you doing around the way? He he does. These aren't his family. These aren't his friends. He met him an hour ago. But it so bothers him that it's so inefficient of a way and so wrong to do things that he's going to straighten them out. That's what Jacob's do. And, uh, and I'm not even talking about the manipulator. It's just the work ethic that this guy has. I mean, he is fairly intolerant. Of incompetence and and of of laziness, just a mover and a doer and all and and uh, these shepherds are just lazy and sloppy and uh, and and so it just drives a, a Jacob crazy on things and so says if okay if you're going to water them early you shouldn't it should be the end of the day water them and, and get them back out in the field fatten them up that's how you take care of of things now if you if you've ever um, uh, traveled outside of the country a little bit uh, you um, Uh, You know how excited they are to get counsel from Americans. (laughs) Sometimes it's funny, we take a trip to Israel, you know, and the guide that we use most often, Neftali, he is so patient. Those guides have heard everything. But usually the first two or three days of a trip to Israel, there's uh, maybe several people who will say, You know, in the United States, we don't do it that way. How come, you guys, how come you guys do this? We don't do that over here, you know. And, I mean, they, they've heard everything on that. And, uh, and, but when you're not dealing with a guide who's, who is a very, very patient man by nature, and plus you're paying him, uh, you can get it given right back to you. So, um, so here he is. He is a foreigner. And in one hour, he's telling them how to do their job. I had a friend uh, who was a missionary in a certain part of the world. And, uh, and he went there and he started a church there, pastoring a church there. And uh, during the summers in this particular part of the world, not giving you any details, this particular part of the world, it's baking hot and no air conditioning at all. And uh, so he, the church services are in a room where there are windows on this end of the room, then the front of the room, and there are windows on this end of the room. And, and when he would do the services and all, they would only open the windows on one side of the room. Now, as an American, that's just crazy. Why wouldn't we open every single window we got in this place and can we get the roof off here on, and, and get some ventilation through here? So he comes in one Sunday and he opens up windows on both sides of the room. You would have thought that... Uh, he had done the worst thing imaginable in the world. Don't you be coming here as an American and changing how we do things here. Everybody here knows that if you open up windows, even in the heat on either end of the room, you're going to create a draft and we'll all have sore throats before the day's over. Okay, okay. <laughs> the rest of his ministry there, This opened up one bank of the windows. People aren't that excited for our council when you're, when you're a foreigner. And they weren't either, so notice what they say uh, to him in verse 8. But they said, we cannot until all the flocks are gathered together and they've rolled the stone from the well's mouth, then we water the sheep. Listen, mister, we don't care how you do it, where you come from. This is how we do it, where we come from. Now what they don't realize is they are speaking to their future boss. (laughs) because he's going to be the head of this whole thing before uh, uh, too, too long. Well, while he was still speaking with them, Rachel came with her father's sheep, for she was a shepherdess. And it came to pass when Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and the sheep of Laban, his mother's brother, that Jacob went near and he rolled the stone from the well's mouth and he watered the flock of Laban, his mother's brother. So this is family. He's going to go ahead and take charge of that. Then Jacob kissed Rachel and lifted up his voice and wept. Now this is not an American kiss. This is a Middle Eastern kiss of greeting. Family, their cousins... And a family, maybe on one cheek or something, or on the hand or something, is a greeting. He's excited to meet her, so he's weeping and everything. And Jacob told Rachel that he was her father's relative and that he was Rebekah's son. So he tells her a little bit about how he's related to her and her family. So she ran and told her father Laban. And then it came to pass when Uncle Laban, I added Uncle, when... uh, uh, When Laban heard the report about Jacob, his sister's son, that he ran to meet him, embraced him, and kissed him, and brought him to his house. And so uh, uh, Jacob then told Laban all of the things, brought him up to date related to the family. And Laban said to him, Surely you are my bone and my flesh. And he stayed with him for a month. So he opens up the house and he stays with him for a month. Now, the way that Jacob is, Jacob isn't just going to be there and... And uh, you know setting the alarm for 11 o'clock in the morning and hitting the snooze until two in the afternoon. he's a very, very hard-working guy. So he's probably uh, you know, jumped in and started to work hard for the family and kind of earn his way. And uh, Laban looks at him, "I don't care what business you are in the world. Uh, when you fight a hard worker who is also a, a very sharp person, uh, there are never enough of those people." And uh, so you look to hire them, get them under contract so they can be, uh, you can benefit from their work ethic and from their skill. And that's what Laban does here. He said to Jacob, because you are my relative, should you therefore serve me for nothing? I mean, here you are, you're working for nothing. He's probably perhaps thinking to himself, boy, if I don't get him under a contract, somebody's going to notice the worker that he is and pull him away and have him working for another uh, flock somewhere. Tell me, what should your wages be? Now, that's a tremendous question for a boss to ask an employee. And uh, so he's offering him now a job. Jacob uh, doesn't even hesitate uh, here in, in terms of what he's going to ask for as his wages. Now, Laban had two daughters. The name of the elder was Leah. And the name of the younger was Rachel. And Leah, the older, her eyes were delicate. And so, um, another way of translating it is her eyes are weak. Now, a lot of people uh, really get, you know, uh, get going with Leah on things. And, you know, she's the ugly sister and the ugly duckling and all. It is true that her name does mean wild cow. But... um, but she was she was named that at birth and so it was doubtless uh uh, uh, uh a term of affection <laughs> come on honey you hold the wild little wild cow here right now but you know it doesn't mean you know some kind of thing like this so her eyes probably were not like the the Eyes and all that were, you know, considered to be the most beautiful in that part of the world. You know, very dark, deep, rich kind of eyes that her sister possessed. But it doesn't mean that she was, you know, ugly or something, something like that. We don't really know that. It's, it's funny, you know, where people go on that, but I'm, I'm not inclined to think that, that that's the case. The Bible says, you know, love hopes all things, right? And so, but but clearly, she was a physical second to her younger sister, because we're told that Rachel was beautiful of form and appearance, beautiful face, beautiful figure, as my mother would say. And so, this is uh, this is what Rachel was. Now, Jacob loved Rachel. I mean, this with 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 when Jacob saw Rachel, love at first sight. You got it right here in the Bible. Love at first sight, and so he said to Uncle Laban, "I will serve you seven years for Rachel, your younger daughter." Wow, seven years F- for her, or I don't care who she is, you know. Kind of the, but that—that's the way that love. To give you an idea, the uh, see, he's, he isn't like. Abraham sending his servant to get a son uh, a, a bride for his son Isaac. Uh, Abraham's got tremendous wealth to pay the dowry in order to purchase the bride. Jacob shows up on the scene. He has nothing. So all he can do is kind of indent himself in order to get to get this woman that he wants to marry. A a realistic and a very handsome offer, generous offer would have been to offer one year's labor for the daughter and he offers seven years. That's the way that love is And, and it's pretty great that way. Now you imagine you put yourself in her place and she finds out later that guy seven years we probably wouldn't have got more than 14 months from anyone in the village seven years from this guy for you. I mean what that would do in her heart and, and, what, and, the, and the whole reason he did it is, he is a, he's just a conniver and a manipulator but, but there is love in that heart too and uh, so he's not a machine or anything like that he loves her and I mean he is willing to sacrifice wow in order to make sure that, that uh, that's, that's the wife that I, I want to have I mean this is it's really a beautiful picture of, of his love for her and Laban said, well, it's better that I give her to you than she should give her to some other man. He, trust me, when Laban heard seven years, he just, he couldn't believe his ears. Jackpot, Jack! I can't believe seven years. I mean, I was hoping at the most for a year and a half or something. Seven years. But he's playing it cool here. Well, you know, I might as well give her to you as much as some other guy in the village or something like that. And he knows he's come out way ahead. So he says, stay with me all right, there's an agreement now on this. And so Jacob served seven years. I mean, it just takes a little while to count to seven. Seven years he worked for Rachel, and they seemed, it's one of the most beautiful verses on love in the whole Bible, and they seemed only a few days to him because of the love that he had for her. He loves her. And he is willing to work, and he is willing to wait seven years for her. I tell you, it's a pretty good test for love. Pretty good test for love. Well, it, it, a couple times in the, the history of the church, there have been uh, a couple maybe come in uh, in more in like in the early days on things. Just because I don't, I don't do premarital counseling these days, just because there's no time for that. And uh, but somebody would come in and say listen we need to get married this saturday you know really wow and how long have you known each other two weeks two weeks wow so you guys like know each other wow i mean just Pretty whoo, two weeks and I mean, how well can you know a person in two weeks on things? And so, but they're they're racing, you know, and uh, oh, it has got to happen and everything. If, if this one, we're going to go to another church to have them do that thing, you know, and, they, and, and the Bible says First Corinthians thirteen that agape love is long suffering, it is patient. Eros love is not, uh, lust is not, but God's love is patient it will wait it will sacrifice it will endure in order to have the the uh, object of of its love on things and it's not a bad test to put things to I'm not saying that every engagement needs to be a ten year engagement or something like that. People should know each other very well before they get married uh, because it's such a huge decision that's being made but Here is this thing where, I mean, this is something by the time they get married, as sad as some of the circumstances are, this relationship has already withstood the test of time. And time is a considerable test. He loves this woman. And the time just flew. And then Jacob, at the end of the seven years, he said to Laban, Give me my wife. For my days, got to write down to the days, <laughs> my days are fulfilled that I may go into her. It's time now for me to, to have her in marriage and Laban gathered together, all the men of the place. And I have a big wedding feast and everything, makes a feast, everyone's invited uh, to uh, uh, the, the wedding and the feast. And it came to pass in the evening... Here is Jacob at the end of a feast and all, a great day of celebration. He goes into his tent that Laban then took Leah, his older daughter, brought her into Jacob. And he went into her and Laban gave his maid Zilpah to his daughter Leah as maid. And so it came to pass in the morning that behold, it was Leah. Jacob wakes up, and on the, on the, now, now there are no lights in the honeymoon suite in those days, and the women would have been, you know, heavily robed and heavily veiled, and everything. As she's kind of delivered into the darkness of the room, and and uh, and the whole thing, not great light for making out faces and and that kind of stuff. And so um, he wakes up uh, after his wedding night and he rolls over, and now there's a little bit of daylight and everything, and goes to look into the face of of, uh, Rachel there, and he sees Leah. Oh my, can you imagine? I mean, how his heart, we're we're talking about, I mean, love here. And he just looks over, and there she is. I mean, he must have jumped three feet high, right there. And his head is—this isn't real. This isn't real. This is a—this is a dream. This cannot be happening. This cannot be happening. This is—wake me up, somebody, from this—this this situation. And—and and it's just a terrible, terrible thing that Laban does in this situation. The old switcheroo. I mean, Laban could not have done anything more harmful to everyone who's involved here. The situation. You look at Jacob, and I mean, when Jacob wakes up in the morning, and there, instead of his beloved Rachel being beside him, now it's Leah, I mean, it just had to hit him like a lightning bolt. Imagine working seven years for the day that you get to establish your own home and your own household now. Your own marriage, husband and wife, and all, and now you wake up in the morning and the one that you love is not your wife. Somebody else is your wife. I mean, this is a terrible thing to do to another person. But you know, as bad as the whole situation is in terms of the cruelty toward Jacob, uh, what this father does to his daughters is just unthinkable. It's unthinkable. I think about what he does to Leah here on on this. It is so cruel what he does to this daughter. She knows that Jacob does not love her. And that whole night, she knows that Jacob thinks that she's Rachel. And that's her sister. That's her sister. You look at Rachel in the situation. Imagine what it does to her. She sees the whole wedding feast going on, the whole deal. She's expecting to be brought into the tent of her husband. This is the man who loves me like nobody in the whole country could love me. Seven years of his life in order to marry me and I'm going to marry this man that loves me this way and we're going to be husband and wife and we're going to establish a family and here is this dream come true. I'm going to have him to myself. We're going to live happily ever, ever after. And instead, on the night of the wedding, her father does this thing to her and, and to the sister and, and to Jacob. I mean, you think about the damage that was then done to the relationship between the two sisters. I mean, you, 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 I can't even begin to imagine the horrible dynamics of a household where you have two sisters married to one man. That's what's going to happen here. And the envy and the rivalry and, and the competition that's going to come out of this this whole thing going to produce a very, very sad situation. And Laban to me is just like the worst kind of person. He is just the worst kind of person. He is willing to take any situation he is willing to take lives. He is willing to take His own flesh and blood and subordinate all of that to His selfishness, what He wants, how He can use it. He will use anyone and anything, destroy him, throw him by the wayside, as long as He got ahead in the situation. And there are people like that in life. And God will save you if you're like that tonight. And He'll change you if you're like that tonight. But this is just a terrible, terrible human being. And the Lord is going to do something that none of us will regret when we read about it happening to Laban. God is going to step into this situation and He is going to strip Laban of his wealth. Everything that He has used these people for, all these other people around Him for, in order to gain His wealth and His power and all these things, God is going to strip all of that away from Him. And, and He deserves every bit of it when it happens. Well, Jacob, there in verse 25, he protests. He says, Why have you deceived me? And this might be the very first time in Jacob's life that he has been taken by somebody else. That somebody outmanipulated him in a situation <clears throat> and took uh, the darkness of the night and used it. Is an advantage. Same way he had used the darkness of his father's blindness to get ahead of him on the situation. Had had taken in in the whole thing, and 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 uh, he's always used the other person's weakness to get ahead on things. And when his brother trusted him, and when his father trusted him, uh, he then violated the trust against him. Here he is. He has trusted Laban to do right, right. Now Laban has violated that trust in his life. It's one of the great ways that God uses to um, prune ugly things in our life is to make us a victim of the same characteristic that is in our life that harms other people to become a victim of that same characteristic in another person's life. And it leaves such a bad taste in our mouth that we look at that and we're finally willing, even if we've been blind to that that characteristic in our life, we finally look to God and say, God, I realize now what my being like this, the taste that it has produced in people's mouths, I never, ever want to do that. What this person did to me in this situation ever again would you change me so that I am not like this man or this woman that has just done this to me. And it's a hard lesson, but it's a powerful, powerful lesson the way that God does it. The Bible says, Be not deceived, God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man sows, that shall he also reap. It's not talking about karma or anything like that, but what it's talking about... In in general, is that what we do to other people and, and that kind of a thing, that's going to come back on us. And that's why we want to sow in our lives righteousness and grace and good things toward people. So that comes back to us and not sowing manipulation, taking advantage of people, ripping people off. And then that's going to come back uh, to us also there is kind of a law the law of God there related to to all of that and he has Jacob is really sown in that direction now for the first time he, he reaps it fully and he doesn't like it Laban then as, he, as Jacob says was it not for Rachel verse 25 that I served you why then have you deceived me and Laban said it must not be done so in our country for to give the younger before the firstborn did I forget to tell you that here in this country, we never marry the younger before the older? Like he didn't know that. For seven years, this man has been sitting on what he knows he's going to do to all three of these human beings. Just disgusting. Really, really disgusting. And and so here he comes up. This is his excuse and, and all uh, in, in it. And then, so he, he ha- offers a solution related to this. Fulfill her week, Leah's week, and her wedding was a week-long affair. And we will give you this one also for the service. You will serve with me still another seven years. So be with her for, uh, undisturbed now as, as, as your wife, Leah, for the one week. At the end of the, of the week, I'll give you Rachel as a wife also, and you'll serve me another seven years for her. See the, the manipulation on the thing. Jacob would have never agreed to work seven years for Leah. He didn't love Leah. Nothing wrong with Leah. He didn't love her. And and so here he knows I know how to get fourteen years out of this guy. And so he's just working the whole situation that way. But Jacob, I mean, he he loves Rachel. So Jacob did so, and he fulfilled her week. And so he gave him his daughter Rachel uh, as wife also. And Laban then also gave his maid uh, Bilhah to his daughter Rachel as a maid. That was a custom in those days. So the two daughters, the two wives come with two maids. And Jacob went into Rachel now to fulfill her week and all, and we're told that he also loved Rachel more than Leah. And, and that's, that's sad. And Leah's going to pay a, a real, it's going to be a very sad life for her, uh, as we're going to read in the coming couple of chapters and things. But you can't hold it against Jacob. Jacob never said that he loved her. And uh, he just got Uh, you know, taken advantage of in this situation. The one that he loved was Rachel, and he served with Laban still another uh, seven years. And when the Lord saw that Leah was unloved, God saw the situation, and... uh, saw the miserable situation that Leah uh, w- was in, given in marriage to a man that didn't want her and doesn't, uh, doesn't love her at all. So he, he, fully aware of it, he knows how to step in with some grace. And so he does by starting to bless her with sons. And so Leah conceived and bore a son and she called his name Reuben and the reason why she called him Reuben, the w- word Reuben means see a son for she said the Lord will surely look on my, looked on my affliction and now therefore my husband will love me. And so she uh, names him a the child comes out, Reuben, see a son. And in that culture, they placed great value upon women who had, could have children, and then especially women who, who produced children. Uh, male uh, children and so she sees this child as a gift from God as an expression of of God's grace in her life and so see a son you know everybody else may not like me nobody else may love me in this relationship but God loves me in this relationship it's very sad but that's what's going on and then she has the desire that as a result of bearing a son for Jacob he will then in turn his heart will start to become loving toward her and then she conceives again and bore a son and said because the Lord has heard that I am unloved and he has given me this son also. And she called his name Simeon, which means uh, hearing. And so uh, she names uh, Simeon as a witness to the fact that God has heard of her condition in heaven as an unloved wife in a difficult marriage, and he has blessed her now in this way. And she conceived again and bore a son and said, Now this time my husband will become attached to me because I have borne. Him three sons, and therefore she called his name Levi, which means joined or attached. And so it appears that um, Leah, at this particular point, has given up on being loved by Jacob. She doesn't. She's not even looking for love now. She's just hoping he'll become attached to her, that there'll be some some kind of a, 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 a important relationship uh, between. Uh, the two and she names him Levi and when she conceived again and bore a son and she said now I will praise the Lord therefore she called his name Judah which means praise and then she stopped bearing and so now it appears that uh, again she gives up on the fact that God is uh, or that Jacob is going to love her and so she names this fourth son Judah as an expression of praise well uh, I'm going to praise the only one that I do know that loves me in this whole mess and that is God and so she calls the boy Judah and so these names named after the circumstances that they were born into now it's interesting um, here is Leah, the unloved wife, and, and it's interesting that it is through Jacob and Leah, not Jacob and Rachel, that the tribe of Levi comes into existence. That's, that's Leah's blood. And then the tribe of Judah. It's significant because it is through the tribe of Levi that the priestly tribe is going to come, the spiritual leaders of the nation of Israel. And uh, that comes through Leah. And then the tribe of Judah, that came through Leah, not through Rachel. The tribe of Judah, of course, is the tribe or, uh, you you know, it's the bloodline that Jesus came into the world through, the Lion of the tribe of Judah. He is a descendant of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and uh, Judah. And it is through the bloodline of Leah They could almost stop bearing at this particular point. There's a lot more sons on the way and daughters. We'll get to, Lord willing, next week. But in terms of the super, you know, big things that are going to impact Jewish history, uh, a significant part of it's already been taken care of in these first four sons uh, that have been uh, born here in in all of this. But let's stand together and we'll close on prayer tonight. The worship team would come forward. That'd be great.